0: We 're in a series called the Narrow path and today we 're talking about narrow path versus narrow mind Narrow path versus narrow mind yes so I hope the the title I get a feeling the title will be better than the sermon itself but um, but i I wanted to ask you guys about that thought of narrow mindedness a uh, couple questions two questions really one question being um, uh, what comes to mind when you think of uh, narrow mindedness? And just get some feedback. We're a small church, so we can do this. Just love to hear your, your thoughts, your feedback on this. Narrow mindedness. What comes to mind when you hear that? Be defensive. Defensive. Judgmental. Okay. Rigid. Rigid. What else? One point of view. One point of view. Very good. Yes. What else? Inflexible. Mm. Unwilling to uh, to, uh, entertain new ideas. Unwilling to entertain new ideas. What else? Stubborn. Stubborn. Yes. Yeah. Everybody else is wrong. Everyone else is wrong. Very good. Yes. Yes. focused Yeah. Focused? Yep. That's that's the positive side of it, right? You can stay focused. Yep. Factions. Factions? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, l- let me s- turn this question around a little bit. How many of you here have been accused of being narrow-minded? I have. Yeah, so, and I have too. Um, I think it, it, it's surprising how that, you know, that, that term can be used and uh, in a, people can be accused on either side of any issue, really, of being narrow-minded. So um, if we were to think about narrow mindedness, oftentimes um, the ones that are being, you know, we get accused of being narrow minded, but at the same time, we'll see that the other side is being narrow minded in the same way, right? So it, it's, it's easy to see the hypocrisy. We're in sort of a call out culture now where there's a lot of calling out each other on our hypocrisy. It's happening in the media. It happens everywhere. Right? It's very easy to see hypocrisy um, in other people. It's very clear, (laughs) the hypocrisy there. Um, But we also see it within ourselves, don't we? I mean, most of us are fairly aware of that. Like we see our own, uh, at times, getting stubborn, getting uh, rigid um, around a particular thought, um, and uh, we'll fight it. We'll fight it, and we kind of know when you're fighting something. At least I do. I know when I'm fighting something, and I'm not really comfort. There's this like discomfort internally that I feel when I'm fighting something that is a tell for me that whatever I'm doing in this moment, I'm not open. I've closed and I've closed in defensiveness. As was mentioned earlier, I've closed because I'm defensive. I've closed because I feel um, like I'm being attacked or, uh, you know, I've got to fight for something. Um, So this narrow-mindedness is something that um, affects um, affects us all. Um, <clears throat> It happens, though, quite a bit um, within particular groups. So if you think of groups like uh, Christianity, you think of political groups or you think of other social groups that you might be a part of. You think of causes, particular causes that are moving in a, in a direction. Um, there's uh, narrow mindedness that shows up in those camps as well. I think about Christianity oftentimes having been accused, particularly Evangelical Christians having been accused of being uh, narrow-minded, and there's a sense in which we have felt justified in being narrow-minded because we feel like we're on the narrow path. The narrow path means, by definition, that there is there are fewer options. <laughs> it would feel that way to us. But what I want to contrast is how the narrow path is actually a very, a very much a contrast to narrow. Mindedness uh, because the narrow path is not about who gets in uh, as a particular group, for example, if we're on more of a conservative uh, bent that we look at those who are on more of a liberal bent as being uh, outside of that path that we're more of the narrow path type people um, and 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 others you know the it, Perhaps liberals would see the same thing, like you look like you're the ones who are not on the narrow path. And there's this back and forth that oftentimes happens, um, and it happens within the church. Uh, but the narrow path is so different from a narrow mind. And I want to explore that this morning uh, with you. I had a, um, <clears throat> a client who uh, talked with me this week and um Uh, We had such a wonderful conversation. I was actually, it was last week um, and we had great conversation about spirituality and it was sort of like, you know, going from coaching, life coaching stuff all the way into this, like delving deep into spirituality. And uh, this client starts off by saying, you know, I I just have to, you know, first of all, I just want to say, I, you know, I don't believe in God and um, I just, it doesn't make any sense at all to me Um, and went on to give some rationality to it. And I monitored my own sort of internal reaction at that moment. Like, oh, I can feel a little reaction going on here. Um, So monitor that and just like stay open. And then um, the client goes on to say, uh, what was interesting though is I was watching Russell Brand and one of his YouTube clips, videos, and he says he believes in God. And the reason why is... He has this sort of like, there's no evidence to prove either way, but certainly, why wouldn't you be open to the possibility? And that if you don't know everything, and none of us do, and scientists certainly don't know, physicists don't know, there is no way to know ultimate reality. That why wouldn't you be open to the possibility that there's an ultimate good in this universe? That there is something that is benevolent and something that is all loving. And then if you do, then watch the results of that belief. Does it produce better fruit in your life? Just believing that than not believing it. And she said, oh, dang, that totally messed me up, Joel. (laughs) Because I was so sure of what I thought. What was happening there is a shift moving from that narrow focus, that narrow mindedness to possibility that there might be something we don't know. And this is destination versus journey, as we've been talking about and contrasting for a long time now, is destination versus journey thinking. Destination thinking is I've arrived. And I'm good where I'm at. And don't don't mess with my, my way of seeing the world. When you were a child, you weren't like that. When you were a child, you were optimistic. When you were a child, even if you were tending more towards pessimism, at least you were willing to try new things. You weren't as risk averse as you are now. When you were a child, you were more trusting and capable of learning from others who knew maybe a little bit more. But then what happens is something takes place in your life. That causes you to start slowing down and to say, I don't want to grow anymore. I don't want to change anymore. There's, a re, there's an inner sort of response to pain that we face in this world. And we want to lock down because then we feel a little safer. If I can just have something that's stable, that's unchanging in my way of thinking and seeing this world, then I will feel safe. And so we become hard and we slow down. I think of, and by the way, this is just light humor, so don't take this as like, I'm going to preach about this, but I have friends who stopped at a certain era in their development of appreciation of music. And it's like, you know, no, it is nothing like the 70s. Yeah, that was the best music ever. <laughs> okay. But if you were like 85 years old, you might disagree with that. Like, Right. So like at what era did you think? Like, I mean, everybody does this, but at some point you were growing and you were learning and you were you were able to be receptive. And at some point you stopped. Now, that's a sort of innocuous thing. It has no you know, consequence, really. But there's so many other areas that it does have consequence. And one of the things I've been um, encouraging young couples um, and in um, singles who are some of my clients is if you're thinking about relationships is you want to make sure that the person that you're that you're looking for is going to match you in one of the big values and that is you are on the path of growth and of spiritual growth and development. And if you have somebody who is as much on the path in their own way, different than you, they're not going to look like you. But they're going to be on their path of self-development. And if they're not, then you're going to have a problem. But that's one of the values that's important. Because if you're not on the path, you are locking down and you're getting into that space of increasingly narrow minded in this world. And that is the death to growth and no living organism can stop growing and live. You must continue to grow if you're alive. Until the day you pass on from this life, there is never a moment where you can say, well, geez, at this age, I think I'm just going to stop growing. I'm good. That doesn't stop. I'm not talking about stop doing. At some point you have to stop doing. It's about stop growing and ever learning and developing who you are. That's a narrow path versus narrow mind. Um, So let me address some of the reasons why this would stop. And this comes from Matthew chapter 5. So where we are in this series is we are in the chapters from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 7. We didn't really cover the first few chapters other than to say that in those early chapters, what Matthew is doing is he is paralleling the nation of Israel to the person of Jesus, the historical person of Jesus, And what he is saying is that Israel faced challenges and failed. Jesus faced challenges and he succeeded. The same series, same sort of challenges, but Jesus succeeds at that. And then what he does is paralleling again uh, Jesus to Israel. Now he shifts and he parallels Jesus to Moses, the leader of Israel. Moses goes up to Sinai, Mount Sinai, and receives the Ten Commandments and then gives them to the people along with 613 other commandments. That were really kind of teasing out the Ten Commandments. Well, Jesus climbs up on the mountain in chapter five of Matthew and begins to teach and gives them the well known Beatitudes that are quoted. Even if you didn't know that they were Beatitudes, they're quoted you know, it, it, all over the place. You, you hear it in, you know, national, you hear it in the media, you hear it in, um, you know, different, uh, different people who are not necessarily church attenders will use particular phrases taken from the Beatitudes. And uh, the Beatitudes continue on. They, so he gives those the eight Beatitudes. And then after that, he dives deeper into more teaching about the Beatitudes. And so we arrive here to this part that I want to talk about, um and um again this image here is that of what would have been conceived in the mind of a Jew when they heard um narrow path um narrow small gate big gate big path uh this would have been one of the large gates that allowed many to come in. Um and then uh in Matthew 5 uh, verse 43 he says you have heard it said that it was, you have heard that it was said love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, You have to understand how revolutionary this was in his day. There wasn't a concept of loving enemies. That was new. And by the way, it was a contradiction to Hebrew and Old Testament scripture. Because you have in, in Psalm 11, verse 5, very clearly, God hates, and the word passionate is added to it passionately hates the wicked. Psalm 11, verse 5. So, Jesus is saying something that seems contradictory to what God had said in the Old Testament. Are you comfortable now with this contradiction? Doesn't it just feel like restful, like, oh, good. No, contradiction's meant to evoke some trouble in you. Like, Ugh, that doesn't feel right. Well, that's exactly right. That, that's, now you feel what they would have felt. <laughs> they, they felt like this is, there is something really wrong here, that Jesus is contradicting something here. Or is he? Because the thing with seeing The problem isn't what we see. The problem is how we see. And it's always our seeing that needs to change. And you know this to be true. Because when you've had epiphanies, how many would say you've had some aha moments in your life? Now, I sure hope so. (laughs) We've all had moments of going, oh, wow, I never thought of it that way. Right? You have someone that says something. Someone that does something. Someone that, you know, you never knew that, that, that this could be true. Or you, know, you have these epiphanies, these moments of your mind just being blown away. And after that point, you don't see the same. You see things differently. Right? And that happens all the time. I remember when I was in um, seminary, I was with some students Uh, Who were, um, and I was super, super, super uh, conservative. Raised that way, conservative all my life up to that point. Went to seminary, and I'm with students um, uh, who are predominantly from the city, inner city students. And um, I was one of the only non, um, well, one of the only white people in the class, one of the only people really from outside the city. And, um, and I'm sitting with these folks and we're studying the same stuff and we're having conversations about scripture and we're diving deep and, and we're getting to know each other and like each other and things are, you know, things are moving along. And then all of a sudden there's a conversation about politics. And I'm quite sure, you know, my naivete, my real small world that I grew up in was that of course people are going to think the way, you know, I think, because that's the right way of thinking. It's, you know, it's what the Bible says. It's very clear. And they countered me and they said, no, no, we, we don't think this way, not politically. And they just went to town on me. And I was the only one fighting for my cause. And I'm thinking, man, this is crazy. But I walked away really deeply affected, but more so from one story, which was there was a teacher inner city teacher who was teaching a special type of um, class for students. And I don't remember all the details, but she looked at me and said, Joel, I might even agree with you on a lot of things morally, but here's where I disagree with you. She said, you see, if this particular president gets elected, and this was, this was George Bush um, back in the day. And she said, if he gets elected, my uh, program will get cut. I will lose my job in all, and I don't even mind. I can figure things out. I'll find a, another job. But these kids, they're going to fall through the cracks and there is no safety net for them. And what's going to happen to them? And I care about them. These are my kids who have spent my life uh, serving and, and loving and trying to help. What's going to happen to them? Now, here's what troubled me. It's like I, didn't, I could give a moral answer, but I could not give a practical one. And that troubled me. And when I walked away from that, that started to shift my mind, not entirely, but it started to shift it. And I started to see things differently. And what I once thought I saw so clearly had shifted because of a connection, a connection that I had made with a person. And when Jesus speaks about this, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It takes it to a higher level it gets not only into the, it starts off with this relational thing that I just illustrated, but then it goes another step because here's what he's doing. He is addressing the very oppressed people, the people who are being tortured, the people who are being uh, not necessarily tortured at the time, although there were moments where that happened. There was some really horrific uh, uh, times between the the Jews and and the Romans who were in power. But they were relegated to, to, to subsistence living, taxed heavily. Soldiers could come up to them and say, and, and knock them down and knock their stuff out of their hand. And say, pick it up. And they pick it up and knock it down again. And then they'd say to them, hey, carry my stuff right now. Drop your stuff. I don't care what you're doing, but I got to feed my fi- No, I don't care. Carry my stuff. Let's go. And so Jesus says earlier, right before this, he says, if someone does that, not only go with them the mile, go with them the extra mile. That's horrible. It's a terrible thing for Jesus to say. After all, if you are a freedom fighter, if you are a revolutionary, if you are for justice, you wouldn't do that. You would set it right, wouldn't you? But he doesn't. Not only does he not lift their burden, but he adds to it. Are you with me? I want you to not only carry it for the mile that they require you to, but I want you to go beyond that. And, uh, and then he says, oh, by the way, if you think that's not bad enough, right? Like, okay, fine, I'll suck it up and I'll do it. No, I want you to love them. <laughs> God, I mean, you, you, you're, you're unending. You're not, you're, is there any mercy in you towards us? We're the ones suffering. Yeah, and I want you to suffer even more. I want you to carry that further. And not only that, I want you to love them from your heart. I want you to love them and get this. I want you to pray for them. You yeah, all pray for them, all right. <laughs> I'll pray some really creative prayers. And and, and Jesus says, "I, I want you to love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. Because your father in heaven does what? He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and unrighteous. Both are good, by the way. We don't like rain as much, but, you know, you're talking about a time where that was critical for survival. He causes the sun to come and the rain to come on both the good and the evil. Well, that's a different picture of God for them. God punishes the wicked and he, he, he vindicates the, the, the just. No, God also sends the rain on them and sends the sun on them as well. Oh, man, this is getting harder and harder. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that. And tax collectors were considered the worst people of humanity. And he says, you are no better than them if you don't do this very thing. And this is if you were see cause driven movements today are about setting things right. You with me? And by the way, I'm all for the liberation. I'm all for what, yes, we should have a lot more liberation for certain people that are oppressed. Absolutely, 100% behind that. But the cause movement is going to continue to fail unless it deals with this kind of spirit and heart and attitude. Because if what it's about is setting things right, you will never end it. Dr. Martin Luther King had it right. Many of his followers never got it. He was, by the way, disliked severely by a lot of, uh, uh, of people in, in his day, not just white people, black people as well, because what he said was founded right here in the Beatitudes. And his point was this. You cannot drive out hate with more hate. Only love can do that. Right? Right? This is the, this is the thing that uh, many of us wrestle with and, and movements today are wonder. And I, I, I look at them and I think, yeah, I'm, I'm so with your desire to see things made right, but the process of doing it, which is about, I'm going to change things by pushing laws, by changing all this. And by the way, some of these laws do need to change, but it won't change the human heart. Only love can do that. It is only more suffering on those who are oppressed and those who are abused that that can change. And it does not feel right. I totally agree. I feel the same pain as many of you do. And I don't even suffer to nearly the degree that many of uh, uh, folks have suffered in this country. But there's only the way of Christ. And this is where it gets really narrow, this path, because you know, see how narrow this is. This is so narrow that very few walk it on any side, any movement, any political group. Every one of us struggles with this direction, this command from Jesus, because it is so hard to love those who have hurt us. It's always going to be hard. But that's the narrow path. And the narrow path cannot be, it, You know, I'm so glad that kids today are being raised with a higher level of tolerance for people who don't look like them. I'm so happy for that. But that doesn't fix it because they too must learn to walk this path because it's not a destination. We don't get there by saying, oh, finally, we've liberated a group. Finally, we've, we've changed something in culture and society. We finally got there. That doesn't change things. It only gets us to a level, a destination. We have to be taught the spiritual discipline of journeying and of being on paths. And the path means I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm willing to walk on it nonetheless. And so what, how this relates to this particular verse is, I don't know what will ultimately end out, or end up like, I don't know how this will end up, but I'm going to love my enemy and I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to practice forgiveness. It's not, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Many people get confused with this. Like, Oh, I don't, I don't feel forgiven. No, you feel pain. That's not, that's different from forgiveness or unforgiveness. We separate that out. Like I feel pain. I feel hurt. I feel wounded. Yes, and you should. And that's, 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 a, that's a beautiful thing, actually, to be able to, to acknowledge that and to hold that. But forgiveness is a practice. It's an attitude. When Jesus says, look, pray for those who persecute you. Actively pray for them. That's an action you can take. Where instead of saying, God, I wish you wouldn't send the sun and the rain on the unrighteous. In fact, I wish you'd send something like lightning and hail. That would be a better option. <laughs> Because maybe they would get it then, right? So like send sunshine and rain on the rest of us and send hail and, and lightning on the others. And it's clear. They're wrong. We're right. Right? That's, that's how it should work. By the way, let me just say real, real quickly here, like this is not about saying there's no right and wrong. There is right and wrong. And there's clarity around some of that. But at very least, what we have to say is, I'm probably wrong about a lot of things. At very least, it's incomplete. It's a good thing to practice saying. You can say that right now with me. I'm probably wrong about a lot of things. Or incomplete. Yeah, I mean, you can say this to yourself regularly and it's a good practice of humility because it's not about immobility. Like I don't know what to do because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, no, this is not that. That's not that spirit of anxiety around that. It's your ability to move forward nonetheless and say, I'm probably wrong, but I'm moving forward. That's humility matched up beautifully with confidence. And confidence isn't, I have no questions. Confidence is, I'm going to move and I'm going to move forward with fear and anxiety and with a whole bunch of questions, but I'm going to move forward nonetheless. And I'm probably wrong about a lot of things and incomplete uh, or incomplete about a lot of things. I don't know which one, but I'm going to move forward nonetheless. And as I do so, I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow. You see, this is what happens to Peter. Peter is, you know, after Jesus has died and been resurrected, Peter uh, gets this vision. And this is like this, you know, curtain drops down. It's like a screen, a projector comes down and on it, he sees all kinds of unclean animals. Now he's a Jew and Jesus says to him, Peter, get up, kill and eat a direct command against Jesus gives him a command that's directly against Hebrew scripture, his scripture, his Bible. And he says, no way that's, that's, that's wrong. Right? Three times. And he finally says, ah, okay, I'll do what you're telling me to do. He doesn't actually get up and kill and eat the meat, but what Jesus is giving him is an understanding that something is about to shift. You don't know everything and you're probably wrong about a lot of things or at very least incomplete, but you're going to have shifts in your understanding. And one of them is that the people that you once thought were your enemies are now the people who are going to be your friends. This is more of what Jesus is teaching here. See, when you look at the world around you, there are no enemies. If you're trying to follow Jesus Christ, there are no enemies. They may treat you as an enemy, but you can't treat them as an enemy. You treat them as if they're your friends and you pray for them and you pick up whatever it is and you go the extra mile for them and you keep doing that. And what will happen is their own hearts will begin to change. Not all of them, but you'll begin to see more change in the lives of people. And that kind of change is permanent change. Have you ever been loved by somebody that you didn't, you didn't deserve that love? What did it do for you? When you first fell in love for those of you who've had that experience and you thought, oh my God, if I could only be with this person, they are so amazing. And this person has the same feelings about you. And your mind goes kapoof because you thought there's no possible way. And they like you and they think you're amazing too. And, and what happens to you in that moment? Man, you're, everything changes. You feel amazing on the inside. You change Love has such power when 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 you're giving it and when you're receiving it, it's the only power that can actually change the human heart. And so when we move in love, in prayer, in forgiveness, that way we're walking the narrow path. And that narrow path will bring us, as Jesus says, to ultimate life. And I'm not talking about in the sweet by and by, you know, when we die, we get to heaven or something like that. That's not it. In this moment, in this present moment, you will find life. And so we pray for those who have hurt us. And I'm telling you, I know how difficult it is because there are people on my mind that I have a hard time going, oh God, oh, that's hard. You want me to pray for them. You want me to, you want me to love them I don't even know how to do that. You know, that's why it's a practice. So start practicing, start praying for them and start treating them as if they're your friends and see what happens as you begin to walk the straight and narrow. That's the straight and narrow path because very few can do it. But when you begin to do it, you're going to notice that people around you start changing that you start changing and that true transformation and true freedom finally comes rather than fighting for justice all the time.